You're listening to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the show, we're talking with Takor Mishra and Marsha Hirsch. They're both with the Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency, which serves the greater Charlotte area, including Gaston County. We're talking to them for World Refugee Day about what they do in terms of helping refugees get resettled here in the Charlotte area and the things that you need to know if you want to help support their work. Welcome into another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. On the show today, I've got two very special guests, uh, Dakor Mishra and Marsha Hirsch. They're both with the Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency, which serves uh, the greater Charlotte area, including Gaston County. Um, Marsha has been with the agency for um, about 10 years, and she is the executive director. Uh, Takor is a case manager and program coordinator um, and is a refugee himself. Um, so we'll be getting into a little bit of, uh, of his backstory as well. Um, but Marsha, I wanted to start with you. We were, we were having a conversation um, just before we started recording about kind of what exactly it means to be a refugee. Because I think a lot of people um, hear about kind of what's going on with Ukraine and people fleeing and U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and, and people there fleeing and, and trying to find uh, settlement in the United States. Um, but there's a there's a very specific definition for, for what refugees are when it comes to um, the type of services that they can receive, correct? Yes, that's correct. So um, most of Carolina Refugee Resettlement's clients, which the agency's been serving people since the, since the mid-90s, are people that have fled from their home country to a second country and registered with the United Nations. At that point, they're in a waiting period. It could be years. It could be decades before their case may be considered by the U.S. State Department uh, for resettlement to a third country, to the United States in this case. It could be Canada, New Zealand, Australia. There's other countries that also accept refugees through this process. So um, that's with that in mind, the State Department then has a relationship with nine national agencies. Some may be familiar, like World Relief mm-hmm. or Church World Service. Carolina Refugees National Agency is highest, and highest has offices around the country. And so then the uh, refugee pool of people for resettlement are then distributed to these nine national agencies and then distributed again uh, to sites around the country. So in Carolina Refugees' case, when, when I first started about 10 years ago, most of the people were arriving from Bhutan and Burma. Okay. Uh, then that shifted. Uh, we started seeing people from Iraq, Afghanistan, the Congo. We then saw another shift in 2016 when Syrian people, mm. uh, Syrian refugees were arriving. In the past few years, Um, We've basically been receiving refugees through the U.N. system from all of these countries. So right now, up to 10 10 different places. It can include also South Sudan, Somalia, uh, some people from Central America. So we have a wide pool of people that are being processed by the United Nations for consideration for third country resettlement. And so our role is to... Um, be involved with the case that is assigned to our office through this through this international process. Got it. And I, 
if I remember correctly in the news, I mean, President Biden had said that the U.S. was going to accept a certain number of people coming from Ukraine. So it's not to say that there aren't people that are going to be coming here temporarily, hopefully, um, from that country. It's just that they don't have the full kind of refugee status as designated through the U.N., correct? That is correct. So people from um, the Ukraine uh, have been given uh, protection by the United States government under a process called humanitarian parole. So with parole, they are legally eligible to be in the country, and um, we're learning in this past uh, week or so what services they may be able to receive through our office. But as, as, a, ma- as a legal matter, um, humanitarian parole is a separate process and a separate set of eligibility and services uh, when compared to the refugee resettlement process. So we're kind of operating on multiple tracks in the office right now, depending on the designation that people have received upon entry into the country. So, Tucker, are you yourself are a refugee and I read a little bit about your backstory you you came from Bhutan and under really you know horrible circumstances with your father being basically uh, arrested and, and and beaten basically in front of your eyes as, as a very young child um, what was that journey for you like basically seeing your father arrested um, waiting to have him back, and then basically having to, to flee your home country at a very young age. I mean, at, at, at one point, I feel like it, it's a trauma that, you know, individuals like me will carry for the rest of their life because, I mean, it, it, it comes from time to time that as young as when I was only seven years old, you know, uh, heavily armed, presence of security personnel, and they burst into our uh, house and then assaulted my father. I and mean, this is something when when I see uh, a police officer or when I see someone in the law enforcement or when I see people on uniform, these things keep coming to my mind. You know, I, mm. I, I, it, it's a haunting. Yeah. Well, and that even now being in the United States, you've been here for what, close to a, a decade now or even longer? Uh, I was resettled in the Bronx in New York City in 2009, so a little longer than a decade. And your um, parents were able to to eventually come and resettle here to to the Charlotte area with you, correct? Yes, we are fortunate that they finally made it here in Charlotte sometimes in 2015. If you can, talk a little bit about the experience, because you ended up living in a a U.N. camp in Nepal for what the better part of two decades? Yes, close to close to almost two decades. I mean that that just just reading a little bit about your experience there. I mean that that was without running water, without electricity. I mean that kind of a limited availability of kind of different types of foods to eat. I mean that this is this is certainly. This is no <laughs> Ritz Carlton. This isn't even a, a a Motel Six, so to speak. Uh, so, talking about the refugee camp, you know, I stayed in a refugee camp in Nepal. Uh, I would say only about like three hundred miles away from my home country, where where I was born, and then in the refugee camp there, 
was no electricity, there is no privacy, there is no security, there, there is no uh, enough food, I mean, there is no sort of better medical treatment there. So living in a tent like uh, uh, what we would call as a hut, which was made up of bamboo and plastic, when it rained, I mean, you know, you would be soaked when it, um, when it's sunny day, I mean, you are exposed to heat when it's cold, you are exposed to coldness. Um, so it was a, it was a tough and difficult life, uh, living there for close to two decades. Do you think that having experienced this yourself, does that help you in your work now? Because you can, you can very much relate directly to a lot of what the other refugees that you're helping um, have experienced? It, it is for this reason that I have been working at Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency in various capacities for the last 11 years because I can put my own feet on the shoes of other people coming in. Mm. I can feel their pain and I can relate most of my stories, whatever I have experienced for years with their stories. What are some of the uh, most common needs for refugees and this this could be for either one of you but when they first arrive here um, what are some of the things that the Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency kind of helps these different folks that are coming from all these different countries with? Well the U.S. Department of State has a very clear set of procedures that any resettlement office in the country should be following. So there's a variety of core services, including um, acquiring uh, an apartment uh, for the clients before they arrive, picking them up from the airport, providing them with a hot meal upon arrival, making sure they have a phone. They'll be in a series of appointments with the staff uh, after arrival, being taken for Social Security cards, enrollment in temporary public benefits such as food stamps or Medicaid. Um, If there are children in the case, they'll be enrolled into the public school system. There'll be ESL classes provided at uh, Central Piedmont Community College in in this local case. Uh, And they'll also be taken to the health department for for, for screenings. And then, uh, importantly, we'll be uh, meeting with our employment manager. Uh, The refugee resettlement process in terms of financial support to the clients is a very brief period of time. The resettlement program is 90 days. And at the fourth month, at day 91, um, the clients will be expected to be financially responsible for themselves, taking on their rent and utility Mm -hmm. bills and so forth. And so we want to make sure that everyone has started working or somebody in the case, in the, in the case whether that's one or two people or sometimes there's adult children, maybe three, uh, will begin working um, as quickly as possible. So um, that, that initial goal of basic self-sufficiency to pay your rent and utilities is, is always the aim. Um, along with um, making sure that documentation and things like this are uh, in order and people can move forward from the 90-day period and the State Department's programming on to the Department of Health and Human Services or the Office of Refugee Resettlement, ORR. Uh, ORR funding provides ongoing support for 
other needs up to five years. Uh, that might be medical needs. It might be uh, ongoing employment needs. Um, we have a, 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 a match savings and financial literacy program at, at this time. Uh, so we have a variety of ways to support people um, beyond the 90 days, and that just depends on each case's need. So one of the reasons that the ORR funding is there for up to five years is because with refugee status specifically, you are on track for lawful permanent residency or green card, and then eventually uh, U.S. citizenship. So at the five-year mark, um, if you meet the requirements of citizenship, which includes being able to speak English um, at a reasonable way and also be able to answer questions on American um, civics and history, then you can make an application to be considered for, for naturalization and, and U.S. citizenship. So the, 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 um, the programs we have, and the intention of, um, of integration of refugees into American life is locked together through through this five-year period of support and assistance as as people, um, you know, acclimate and adjust to, to life in the United States. I would imagine that there's a fair number of refugees that come here that would love to be able to return to their home country, you know, if the the crisis, whether it's war, whether it's uh, persecution, political um, uh, prosecution, uh, if those circumstances change, I mean, is does that happen very often, or does it does it seem like a lot of the refugees we're getting like are coming from um, states where just things ha- have not improved? Right. So the refugee resettlement. Uh, process is is intended for the most vulnerable people that will uh, not be able to ever return to mm. their to their home country. Um, so of course, there's always that hope that, as you've indicated, that you know after fleeing, perhaps things would settle down and people could go home. Sometimes, depending on the second country they fled to, they may be absorbed into that country, depending on the rules and laws of that location. Um, and then for people that wind up in third country resettlement, then the prospect of ever being able to go home or be able to um, live in that second country indefinitely has shrunk away. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the, the coming to the United States is, is sort of the, 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 the last alternative for them. Um, but, you know, with that... I think, as as you can see from from Takor's case and the thousands of other people that Carolina Refugee Resettlement has worked with over the years, um, at the beginning, yes, it's it's very difficult period to learn a new language, to understand the complexities of American life. But we see so many success stories, and we see so many people that um, you know do find their path and and come to be you know get an education or buy a home. And so I think there's a lot of um, just a lot of prospect for opportunities here that people would not have had uh, if they had to stay in that space. So um, I think that in the in the end, the refugee resettlement po- uh, process has a, has a very uh, positive, life-changing uh, opportunities for people. Absolutely, and and Tucker, you became a, a U.S. citizen. Um back in 2014? 
2014, yes, I did. And just to add on a little bit to what Marcel was saying earlier, I mean, despite the fact that I am now a naturalized U.S. citizen, the government where I fled from Bhutan would not allow me back in. Mm. So even if I want to go there sort of as, as a visitor, the government would not allow me to, to go there. Which is amazing because, I mean, the, the, the persecution of the minority group that um, was basically forced out of that country, I mean, that began in, what, the, the 1980s, and that we're still yes. dealing with that today, essentially. Right. Yeah, so I think that, you know, there's, 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 there's no one that wants to, you know, find themselves in the position of becoming a refugee, right? Mm -hmm. So being, being a refugee isn't, isn't a kind of person. Right. It's a set of circumstances. Right. And so, um, so with that, um, people, people don't, don't flee from their home um, as, 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 a, as an option to come to the United States, right? It's, it's, it's a last resort situation sure. um, in order for them to save their lives or save their, their children's lives. You know, about, about uh, we've tried to estimate that probably about 40% of our arrivals over the years are in fact um, people under 21. Mm. So they're going to come to this country as young children and, you know, they're going to spend their lives here and they're going to be, uh, become American citizens and, and contribute to the country. And we see that in so many, so many different, different ways uh, with, with clients uh, uh, and their, the way their lives change over, over the years. So do you see that relatively frequently in terms of, of folks that are coming here that they're not whole family groups, but they're potentially just children um, without, you know, any adult supervision? Well, uh, there is a there is a program for unaccompanied uh, minors. Okay. Our office does not do that program, Got it. Um, but many of the families that we see have small children so it may be a single parent with their children it could be couples with their children um, the other group of people that we uh, often see in through this office are um, you know a lot of single men particularly from the Congo and from South Sudan more recently mm -hmm. um, so they fled from their countries as very small children and so they grew up in refugee camps and um, they don't have any family. They usually come over with their friend who, mm. um, you know, who, they, who they've known all their lives. And there is no family behind them, right? Their family's been lost. Yeah. And so to have, uh, you know, to see these young men come in and, you know, they start working quickly. They learn English quickly. They just, the whole process for them moves, moves fast. And we can see a lot of positive results from that. So I think seeing the children and the young adults, the, the folks in their 20s who, who come through and, you know, the first part of their life was, was an ab absolute case of crisis and, and running for their lives. And so then to come to this part of the country, particularly Charlotte, uh, Charlotte region is, uh, is a lot of opportunity here. And so um, we, see people, we see people settle in uh, pretty quickly. So you talked about there's there's up to ten different countries where you've got people that are coming from at this point. Uh, do you end up seeing kind of naturally a lot of them settle in kind of 
you know, kind of community clusters in, in different parts of, of this region? Uh, that that can happen. Um, uh, people, once they've arrived and they've re- finished their resettlement process, um, are, can, of course, move to other parts of the country if they so choose. So sure. we can see that, um, you know, in certain certain areas of the country, for whatever different reasons, whatever people perceive as, as jobs or opportunities, or there's, a, you know, a congregation of folks that, that are in a specific space. Um, so there, there was a time a few years ago when a lot of Bhutanese lived in the Charlotte area, a lot of Burmese lived in the Charlotte area. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, we're, there's a lot, there's a, quite a lot of Afghans starting to, you know, come to the area. They may have resettled in other parts of the country, but those those areas are, are more expensive, or the opportunities are, are of a different nature. And so we we do see um, some of the groups start to coalesce in in different parts of the country because of the the benefit that they may see to living there. I want to ask each of you. What do you think, if you had to, if you had to pick one, what do you think is is the most common misperception you think the the general public has about refugees? Uh, that I think uh, a lot of the people think that refugees come here to seize opportunities, hmm. or to only depend on the public benefit, which is which is not uh, true. I mean, people come here, and we have. You know, resettle so many people that have created opportunities rather for the mainstream American uh, folks or to the other immigrants uh, than them seizing the opportunity. So when someone is resettled here or when someone comes here, they are necessarily not here to seize opportunities from others. You know, they rather contribute more to the society and continue to create opportunities for others. Absolutely. Yes, I would I would agree with that. Um, you know, there's as I indicated, one of the services we provide is is, is state benefits, but it's for a very it's very temporary. The state of right. North Carolina has benefits for all of its residents, but there's an expectation that people should go to work, and once they are at work, then those benefits are reduced, and so the state of North Carolina's benefits aren't going to provide support for you to just just live uh, without, you know, being able to pay your rent and utilities and things like this. So, um, you know, our priority is to get people to work as soon as possible. Our priority is to see them learning English because we do want them to, um, you know, be able to move forward independently. And we see that with, with all of our cases, right? We don't, we don't see people uh, floundering very often. They, they come here with a purpose and an intention and what they understand what they, what they left probably mm-hmm. better than we do. Sure. And um, so being here now is, is a place of safety and a place to, to move forward positively in their life. And they're not trying to take anything from, from any particular, uh, you know, people in the local area. They're here to, they're here to participate. So how many refugees the each year do you kind of help kind of, get settled here in, in the Charlotte area? Is that kind of a number that fluctuates pretty wildly from year to year, or, you know, how, how does that work? It has fluctuated in recent years uh, for, for a variety of different reasons, um, political reasons, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I would say that overall, 
um, in the years that I've been here. We're we're averaging about 300 new individuals a year, okay. new arrivals through the State Department programming, and then also um, Catholic Charities has their office here in town as well, and they're receiving somewhere in the range of 300 uh, people. So Mecklenburg County is going to see about 600 people a year, but then you know people do move into the outlying areas like Gaston or Union County for yep. to be closer to work or, uh, you know, uh, housing opportunities, things of this nature. So uh, overall, we're looking at about 600 new refugees a year in this area. And then if you multiply that out over the years, and of course, because Charlotte is a place of opportunity, then um, sometimes people come in from other states right. and choose to, choose to live in the area. So with that in mind, um, with our, you know, Office of Refugee Resettlement funding uh, for employment and uh, insurance and medical needs, uh, match savings, financial literacy programs, you know, the agency's working with um, probably close to, you know, 800 people a year wow. uh, for, for a variety of different services that, that they may need at a given, given time. So if you're just a, an average resident that, that – cares about the plight of refugees, um, what are the ways that you can get involved with um, kind of this process? You know, is there, this Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency, do, do you take donations? Do you take volunteers to, to help in terms of working with the refugees? Kind of what, it, what would that process look like? Yes, so certainly the United States government um, indicates that the refugee resettlement process is is qualified as a public-private partnership. So we do receive government funding for our services, but we're also uh, relying on donations and, and volunteerism to support um, a lot of the, the other, other needs that clients have. So carolinarefugee.org is our website, and there is a list of uh, donation needs, usually related to the household setups, apartments. I mentioned at the beginning we, we have to set everybody's apartment up, mm -hmm. and we do have a list of items that the State Department requires to be in each household, and so that's an ongoing need for, uh, for furniture, toiletries, linens, cleaning supplies, things of that nature. Uh, and then uh, also with all these appointments, we need to take people around in those early weeks quite a bit for doctors and social security and health departments and, and school enrollments. Certainly. So we're always looking for people that are willing to help us to drive, to set up apartments. If people speak Spanish or French or any other unique language like Arabic or Swahili, even mm. we've all kinds of folks that speak so many. All those ten ten countries have ten different languages attached right. to them. So, right. finding volunteers that can help with language support is is valuable. Driving, uh, uh, admin, administrative activities in the office. Somebody wanted to help to befriend or or mentor. Talk course programming often is looking for people to. To help uh, to help with his uh, the, his caseload from the medical medical needs uh, that clients have, mm -hmm. so there's a, there's a lot of ways to potentially support refugees through through donations and volunteer volunteering. Tucker, anything on your end that you would add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean as much as possible. I mean just getting involved with our office or any other local offices here yeah, that works with the refugees. Um, 
would be one of the biggest help. I mean, uh, because we, as Master said earlier, we depend heavily on on volunteer, community volunteers, and then the do, you know donations or other other household items uh, that we often run into troubles. And then uh, 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 one of the other things that we are having issue is finding uh, and securing uh, an affordable housing so mm. you know if you own an apartment complex if you own some several properties in the area and then if you want to open your arms to these refugees we would we would appreciate that absolutely i mean it's it's yeah. one of those things that is seemingly affecting everyone right now with just this this huge rise in uh, market values here in the Charlotte area and really across the country. But yeah, I mean, uh, definitely when you're talking about trying to get refugees resettled, I mean, uh, that is, that's got to be a huge challenge. Well, and, and refugees, the clients themselves will sign a lease mm -hmm. and will be understanding that they're responsible for paying their rent. Uh, so in, in the resettlement agency's case, what we need is is uh, property owners and landlords that are willing to understand that they won't have a credit history. Mm. They won't have, upon arrival, they will not have started working yet, so they won't have a paycheck stub to share. So some of the more standard procedures for onboarding new tenants won't be in place because they just arrived in the country. Right. Um, but the fact that they'll be signing a lease and being held responsible to uh, to to pay their rent and utilities is is understood by the client. And if there were people interested in learning more about our um, housing needs and the process of working with the resettlement office, then we're we're happy to to speak to people about that. Um, we've we've has we've indicated thousands of people have have come to Charlotte and. We have a number of apartment complexes that have worked with us for many years, um, but uh, the, the the landscape is changing, and so we always want to improve our roster of, of possible uh, uh, apartment complexes that would be interested in working with us. Absolutely. Um, as we get ready to wrap up, anything else about kind of what Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency does about the, the work about um, just kind of refugee resettlement in general that I didn't ask about that, that you wanted to mention? Well, I, I think the, you know, that, that it's clear to understand that the agency has a lot of relationships and partnerships in the area, right? So we just talked about having relationships with the apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. We have all of these state and uh, local uh, county offices that are seeing people, the school system, uh, the volunteers, the donors, uh, and then of course we have dozens of employers that work with us uh, on a regular basis so that people can go to work as quickly as possible. So uh, I think that while people may not be always familiar with all the details of the refugee resettlement process, uh, that there are, in fact, thousands of people and many dozens and dozens of organizations and entities that work in resettlement in Charlotte for, for almost 40 years. Uh, certainly Catholic Charities has been operating since the 1980s. So um, we're, we're happy to explain how this process works. Uh, we do uh, visits to different organizations and schools to 
to help people understand refugee resettlement and how they can be involved. So, um, so we're always available to to uh, help to to um, educate people on the process and and have an opportunity to to meet the clients that 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 we uh, feel uh, really do make a contribution to to our region. Tucker, anything on, on your end? I mean, if there is one thing that I can I can tell to your listeners uh, from the perspective of being a former refugee, certainly, it is this that you know refugees wherever they are coming from. I mean, they share one thing in common that they don't have a place to call home. So mm-hmm. when they get resettled here, eventually they want to have a second chance in their life, and the only reason that they come here is. Uh, uh, is to is to get a new life, yeah. and if people can understand this and be be part of the refugee resettlement process by contributing by getting involved as much as they can, then we would always appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, Marsha Hirsch and Tucker Mishra with the Carolina Refugee Resettlement Agency, I want to thank you both for for talking to us. Um, for World Refugee Day, and uh, thank you so much for the work that you do in this space. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely.